So just a warning up front, we're going to talk more about Mother's Day than we normally do during today's sermon. If that's a rough topic for you, then take about a 12-minute break and come back. Take about half that, six minutes, and we'll be through most everything directly related to mothering. I think by a lot of standards, this is a pretty light sermon as far as Mother's Day is concerned, but I know that might not be true for you, so do what is best for you. So now as we turn to the gospel reading, we get this story where Jesus has already died. He has come back, resurrected Lord. He has been um, seen by his disciples. They decided to go out fishing um, and they caught nothing. Jesus appears to them on the beach. He calls to them. He says, cast your nets on the other side. They do. Their nets come back full and breaking and the disciples are on shore with Jesus. When Peter sees him, they have the conversation that we just read together. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And when we read that story, when I think about all the things that come with feeding and taking care of sheep, I realized more and more it seems like the sort of things that mothers do. During the pandemic, I have been re-watching Grey's Anatomy. Um, that may or may not be a good decision, um, depending <laughs> on the day, but I am, and that's okay. If you're not familiar with the show, it's a medical drama following Meredith Grey, first as an intern and then all the way up into an attending position. It is in a hospital where more bad things happen than is imaginable um, by any normal standards. But I stuck with it on and off for the better part of 15 years, and every once in a while a rewatch is good. So not that long ago, I hit the episode where there's a young woman brought in who was in a boating accident. Um, she was in her early 20s. She was traveling around the world with friends, doing all sorts of fun things. And in a pretty mild um, sort of thing, they were out boating around Seattle and she fell off the boat and the propellers harmed her pretty badly. So all of a sudden what was supposed to be her fun trip became months in a hospital. Um, she was had to have multiple surgeries. She ends up there in rehab in between healing all of these things that she's there for months and months and months. And the doctors are trying to get her to contact her mother, her family, whoever, so that she's not alone. And she says, I can't tell my mom because anytime I'd go out, she would say, no, no, don't hurt yourself. Be careful. I made you from scratch. And so throughout this episode, she continue sending her mom updates about where she was for this trip that they had planned that she wasn't able to continue on. And every time that they would come back and say, don't you want to talk to your mom? Don't you want to tell her what's going on? She would say, no, my mom would say, don't you dare hurt your body. Don't you dare hurt yourself. I made you from scratch. Now, I don't think that's the healthiest response. And eventually she did contact her mom, of course. But I'm reminded that 
the entire holiday of Mother's Day is because Julia Ward Howe wrote a call to women saying, why are we losing our sons, our children to war? It is this idea that war too easily destroys people. And much like the girl's mother who said, I made you from scratch, it would undo all sorts of things. It would destroy a life in instant and a life that had taken months and years to make and a life that should have been given the chance to take care of children of their own, to be taken care of, to do anything other than just die. In this gospel story, we read the commands to feed, to take care of sheep, and we assume that that has nothing to do with actual sheep and everything to do with people. And in this post-resurrection appearance, the story where Jesus tells the disciples not to go and do something that seems extraordinary or great, it seems like a very appropriate thing to read on Mother's Day, even if I didn't choose it because of that. I'm aware when we talk about feeding, about taking care of, we often associate those images with not only mothering, but with something feminine. It's something our, cultural, our culture has taught us that these things that are caring have to be associated with women. And the truth is, maybe the work of mothering, definitely the work of mothering, but all the things entailed with that become holy work. These acts of feeding, of taking care of people are actually the radical work of Jesus. This is Jesus' very last command in the Gospel of John, not to go overthrow a government, not to do something that we would consider great, but instead to feed, to take care of something that is vulnerable, like a sheep. And that is both profound and it seems too easy. And I think it seems too easy because it is so hard. I'm reminded too that when I think about what Paul wrote, the fruits of the spirit that we should cultivate, those two seem what our culture would call feminine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is this strange, strange thing that when we talk about those, they're not appealing because our culture says it's a violent act, a single act, a big deal something that actually changes things. And that's not true. It's also not gospel, which says that choosing to feed and to care, these acts that are never truly finished, are what matter. They're what shape the gospel and become the marks of faithfulness. And those acts, as surely anyone who is parented can tell you, require showing up again and again and again. 
so maybe it is time that we talked more directly about the fact that these things that we associate with feminine and therefore less desirable need to be rewritten. We could talk a long time about how feminine should not equal bad, but more than that, we should talk about how these are the things that sustain us. As we sit here in the midst of a pandemic, it's evident that for those of us who are able to be at home, those of us who are mostly safe and well cared for, the traditional homemaking things are what are sustaining us. Across the board, we are cooking food and baking bread and planting gardens and doing crafts and building things and repairing our homes. That's what most people who have the privilege of being able to be home are doing. They're making home more comfortable. They're wishing they paid more attention in home ec. They're doing all of these things that our culture has said over and over again are not radical and in fact should be ignored. But we're finding these are actually the things that give us life. So I heard on the radio the other day, and I have no idea if it was, you know, a good source radio, it wasn't NPR, but I'll still run with it, that the most common comfort food that people are preparing right now is banana bread. That got me hungry for banana bread more than anything, so I bought some bananas during our next grocery trip, and I made some. And when I did, I posted a picture of my grandmother's recipe that I still use for banana bread. When I shared it with friends, I promised that it was a hard-to-screw-up recipe, and it very, very much is. The other thing with it is that this was a recipe that I learned to bake on. And I learned to bake that earlier than anything else. And it is a good recipe for teaching kids. The very first job that I had to make banana bread was to mash up the bananas. When I was old enough to mix up the batters, the batter, it is telling that the recipe is measured in whole cups and whole teaspoons. There's one fraction of a teaspoon in the entire recipe, and it would be just fine if it ended up a whole one instead. It is vanilla after all, and it could always have a little bit more in my opinion. The batter is such that it does require a mixer to get it mashed or to get it mixed well, but it's a very thick batter, so there are a few splatters, and there's only a low speed possible because it is so thick. And while I had to wait longer before I was allowed to take it in and out of the oven on my own, I still cannot name the first time I made banana bread or helped with banana bread because it was the teaching recipe from a young, young age. So now when I look at it, I realize it's probably from a time with wood stoves and guesstimate recipes, which is why it's really easy to bake in a modern kitchen and why it's really easy to teach kids on. But it sounds like a very much Mother's Day setup. A grandmother baking bread with her granddaughter, teaching her those very traditional arts. But I'm aware that this is literal food. 
This is a practice of helping someone feed themselves for life. And the cooking skills that I use most days started here with a loaf of bread. Because the truth is that feeding and taking care of God's people is no small matter. Some of you may have heard of Ron Finley. He calls himself a gangsta gardener. He grew up and lives in South Central LA, which is not known for being the good part of LA. He actually calls it not just a food desert, but a food prison, where you have to drive 45 minutes to get a tomato that's fresh and ready to eat. That same part of the city has parkways, dirt strips around the sidewalks that the city owns, but the people who live there have to maintain. And so he looked at the dirt strip and decided, I'm going to maintain it by planting food there. Now, that didn't go over too well to start with, and he was cited for farming those areas. He kept farming them anyway, and then he worked with other people to change the law. And so he says, we're going to fill those areas with food. Not just any food, but healthy food, food that gets us invested in our community, food that is gangsta because it makes us independent. Check out his TED Talk if you want, because he sounds a lot less stupid saying gangsta than I do. But I'm going with the way he says it and frames it. The other thing about growing your own food, he says, is that once you get started, it doesn't take a whole bunch to keep going. Growing your own food, in fact, he says, is like printing your own money. The difference is one of those will get you arrested. And when he first started planting stuff in the streets, people said, aren't you worried that people are going to steal your food? And he said, no, that's why I put it out in the street. And hopefully I connect people with the food that they need. I connect them with better choices for their bodies and I help their long-term health and well-being because that is what I do as a gangster gardener. And when Jesus says, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, it is a call to what seems the most boring, unappreciated parts of life. The truth is, it is sustaining and necessary. That is actually a chunk of radical gospel. Everyone gets fed. He doesn't say which sheep. Everyone gets taken care of. He doesn't say which sheep. And the truth is, we have plenty of sheep who are in danger. This week, we sat with the news of a shooting of a 25-year-old man who was out for some exercise and killed, Ahmad Aubrey. And while his death happened in February, a leaked video made it news this week that led to an arrest. This was a week when we learned that a third of the deaths of COVID-19 are coming in nursing homes, where most vulnerable populations live. Food insecurity is becoming 
a more pressing reality for more people, especially children, as we continue to wonder what our future looks like. Those lists go on and on, but we're aware that there are plenty of sheep not taken care of, plenty of sheep not well fed. But for me, it is a grace-filled reminder that caring for just one of Jesus' sheep, taking care of just one person, feeding just one person, is a radical, gospel-filled moment. And so I hope you will find a way to take care of at least one of Jesus' sheep today. Amen. Amen.